When I mention the word servanthood, usually what comes to mind is slavery, menial jobs, demeaning jobs. Yet here in God's Word, oh, servanthood means something totally different. Let's take a look at that next on Graceful Truth. Join us. The Ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is Graceful Truth. Our teacher and pastor Steve Converse continues now with our series in the book of Romans. Today, we're taking a look at biblical servanthood and what that means. And again, as I mentioned a moment ago, oftentimes that word servanthood brings up a negative connotation. In our day and age and in our culture, it's being served is what really matters, and you haven't arrived until you're being served or waited upon. So we'll see today, God says you haven't arrived until you're serving. For more, our teacher and pastor in the book of Romans, here's Pastor Steve Converse. But turn over in your Bibles to Romans. We've uh, worked working our way through this uh, incredible book. Today I want to speak to you about biblical servanthood. Biblical servanthood. On May 24th, 1738, there was a discouraged missionary who went, you might say very unwillingly, to a religious gathering in London. And as he recounts, there was a miracle that took place there. True miracle. He writes, about a quarter before nine... He wrote in his journal, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. That missionary was John Wesley. And the message he heard that evening that convicted his heart in such a way was actually from the the preface to Martin Luther's commentary on this book, the book of Romans. And just a few months before, John Wesley had written in his journal this, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? (laughs) He wrote that in his journal just months before he visited this gathering where he was gloriously converted that evening in in Aldersgate Street his question was answered and the result was the great Wesleyan revival that swept throughout England transformed an entire nation the exciting thing beloved is that Paul is still God is still through Paul's writings here in Romans he still is transforming people's lives just the way he transformed Martin Luther's life through this book, just the way he transformed John Wesley's life through this book. And the one scripture above all that brought Luther out of mere religion and into the joy of salvation by grace through faith was Romans 1.17, where it says, the just shall live by what? Faith. The just shall live by faith. And you had the whole Protestant Reformation, the, the Wesleyan revival, were all fruit of this letter written by Paul from Corinth as he overlooked the Agora there and saw all the sin and decadence of that society in about the year AD 56. We know the letter was carried to the Christians gathered in Rome 
by one of the deaconesses there at the church, Sister Phoebe. Tells us that in verse 1 of chapter 16. And it's kind of exciting to think that you and I can read and study the same inspired letter uh, that brought power and salvation to Luther and Wesley. And we can have the same power of the Holy Spirit that taught them. He can teach us here this morning. You and I can experience revival in our hearts, in our homes, in our churches. And pray that this message that is found in this letter of Paul to the believers there at Rome will grip your heart as it's gripped men of faith in the past. And so in the opening verses, we've seen that Paul introduced himself there to the believers in Rome. Some he probably knew personally because down back in chapter 16, he kind of addresses them. But for the most part, he was a stranger to them. They no doubt heard about him, but he wasn't one that was uh, familiar with them personally except for a couple people there. And so this morning, he, he kind of, we're going to start in verse 8 and, and work our way through uh, up to verse 16, and we're going to do this in two weeks, lest you think we're going to try to do all that today. But I want to read our text for us out of Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, and you can follow along in your Bibles. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last be coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift and to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both, you, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Incredible portion of Scripture. Amazing how today when you talk about serving the Lord, there's a lot of different reasons and ways that people can serve the Lord. Some of those reasons or motives are good. Some of those reasons or motives are bad. And we know that because there's going to be people that stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Lord, Lord, haven't I done this? Haven't I done that? They're going to be recounting all the works that they did. And what is he going to say to them? Depart. I never knew you. So their works are going to be all for naught. I would say those are works done with the wrong motivation. Well, what are some of those motivating factors that maybe can creep into our lives? And this is just a way of introduction to kind of set the stage here for what Paul is going to tell us about biblical servanthood. Because if you're going to serve the Lord, let's do it the right way, right? Let's do it in a biblical way. Well, one of the wrong motives that people have in serving the Lord, I think, is legalism. 
You see that oftentimes when someone first comes to know the Lord. Maybe they come out of a seedy background and they come to know the Lord and boy, they, they, they become very legalistic. <laughs> and they begin to judge everybody around them that's not doing everything the way they're doing it. And they try to keep a list of do's and don'ts. And they think if somehow if they mess up, if they miss their devotion day or, or they miss a time of prayer, that somehow God is going to hold that in judgment against them. So they become very legalistic. They think that God, what God requires of you is not just salvation by grace through faith, but somehow you've got to do a dance to get into the kingdom of God. And if you don't do the dance the right way, you'll never make it. You know, this is something that's not even uncommon with most world religions or cults. The Mormons believe that if you're going to be in good stead with their God, that you should go on a two-year missionary journey. And they hold to that very legalistically. It's required of them to do it. And if you don't, you probably won't make it to heaven. That's how serious it is. Now, that's very honorable that they would give up two years of their life to go and, and do this. As a matter of fact, my, my nephew Luke, who some of you know, was a recruiter in Utah when he was in the Marine Corps. And he said it drove him nuts. Because he'd run into young men that are just eager to go into the military, but they couldn't do it. <laughs> they had to go do their two-year missionary service first, as their church told them to do. A very legalistic mindset. And even within the framework of, of Christianity, there's some people today who serve the Lord strictly because if they don't, God's going to punish him. That's, that's a wrong motivation. That, that's not the correct motivation. They want to keep God from kind of breaking their little bubble and making life miserable for them. And so if they do everything right and in the right order, and if they do this and do that, and, and they're just doing it out of the legalistic mindset. I think, secondly, some people do it for esteem. You know, some people get involved in, in service of the Lord because they want to make themselves look good. They want that prestige. The Bible says that they seek the chief seats, playing the role of Diotrephes, who loved, says, to have the what? Preeminence. Third John 9 tells us. And there is some of that. I mean, there's, there's something to be said about someone who gives up their life to serve the Lord. But we never do it to be esteemed by others. That would be a wrong motivation. Thirdly, I think pride plays a lot in the wrong motivation factor when it comes to serving the Lord. There are some people who want to serve the Lord just because they want other people to look at them and look at them as being religious. I was on a plane one time and I was sitting next to this middle-aged man and we got around to the conversation, well, what do you do? And so, you know, the, the simple answer is, well, I'm a minister, or I'm a pastor or whatever, but I don't like to usually give that answer. So usually I'll say something like, I'm a teacher. Oh, really? What do you teach? And then you can kind of explain to them, well, I actually, I, I teach uh, some information about an incredible book. And you go on and, you know, you got to got them on the hook then. Well, what's the name of the book? Well, actually, it's not just a book. It's actually a compilation of many books. And I'm surprised, you know, you don't know about this book. Well, what is it? What is it? And finally, you can tell them, and they're kind of like, oh, okay, you know. But it's interesting to me that when I told this one individual, finally it was out, oh, oh you pastor at church, yeah. 
well, where's your collar? Don't you wear a robe? I said, no, I don't, you know, wear a tie because my wife makes me to. But other than that, <laughs> makes me, but, you know, um, that's about it. So it's kind of an important thing to some people. They, they look at that, that external trappings of religion and they say, oh, well, if you're going to be this, then you have to do that. And it's more to kind of feed their own ego, their own pride. I'm not against pastors that wear robes or collars, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying, I think some of them do it for the wrong reason. I was talking to a police officer one time in Southern California, Riverside County, where I was serving as a chaplain, and uh, he said, look, we have little placards that we can give you to put in your car. So if you go out to a crime scene or whatever, they'll know you're a chaplain. And he told me, well, don't, just don't abuse it. And I said, how would I abuse it? What do you mean? He goes, well, we had a chaplain last year that basically he would pull into handicap zones and put his little placard there because it was closer to the the front of the store. And uh, he got a ticket and he ended up telling the, oh, you can't give me a ticket. I'm a chaplain, you know, which was just, it created a big problem. See, there's some people that have the wrong motivation. But I think also there's pressure. There's pressure that comes from peers, Sometimes maybe you grew up in a Christian family and your brothers or sister or, or maybe called to full-time ministry or doing something in ministry and you feel under pressure to do it just to keep up with them. Or maybe your parents are making you do this. You know, there's an expectation there. Um, any of those reasons would be wrong motivating factors to get involved in service of the Lord. The last one is not surprising, money. There's a lot of people that that get into the Jesus business, and, and that's unfortunately what it's become nowadays. You can see these individuals a lot of times on Christian TV asking for your money to support um, their lavish lifestyle. Um, they're simply out for the almighty dollar. That's all that matters to them. But they put up a good front, and so people follow them. They're deceived, and uh, you know that's, that's the way that works. That's a wrong motivating factor to serve the Lord. And so God kind of says there are some motivating factors that are good, that are right. And I think the one thing that Paul wants these folks to understand is that, look, he's not like the ministers that he was a part of when in his religion of Judaism, when it was purely external trappings. It was purely the law. It was purely the robes they wore. It was, it was the guys that went out in the courtyard dressed in all the robes and pointed to the poor guy over in the corner and said, I'm glad I'm not like that sinner. I'm righteous. Look at that poor person. And Paul was familiar with that. And so he constantly, I think, in his ministry, wanted people to know, look, if you're going to serve the Lord, serve him with the right motivation. And that's really what he gives us here. He gives us the right motivating factor for biblical servanthood. Paul was a, a shepherd. Paul was someone who God was using to communicate his truth to these people. Not just in Rome, but all over. And it was important for him to kind of lay down some foundation with them because for the most part, the Christians in Rome really didn't know him that well. And so he wanted them to know, hey, look, I'm not coming in here with flattering speech, and I'm not after your money, I'm not after this, I'm not after that. I just want to communicate the gospel. I just want you to hear the gospel of Christ. Paul cared about their spiritual maturity. And he knew 
from his own background what it was like to be part of the, the religion of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the chief priests and the elders. He was familiar with all that. And he was familiar with all the religious trappings that went along with that. And he understood that it was purely, for the most part, external for those po- folks. It was physical. It was superficial. It was temporary. It wasn't something they took home for them. And that's where I think we need to be realistic as Christians. And hopefully our life here within these four walls matches our life at work and matches our life at school and matches our life when we walk out of here to a lost and dying world because that's what they're looking for. They're looking for authenticity. They're not looking for a shell game. They're not looking for a sham. They've had enough of that. And so look at verse 9 as we kind of build up to this We'll go back to verse 8, but I want you to notice here in verse 9 where he says, For God is my witness. In other words, he's saying, hey, I'm accountable to God. I'm not coming to you with any wrong motives at all. God is my witness. He says this, Whom I serve with what? My spirit, right? I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. He was saying that his service came from where? It didn't come from some list he created. Okay, yeah, go to Rome, checklist. No, It didn't come from something he felt he had to do because God wasn't going to love him if he didn't do it. He didn't do it because they were pressuring him to come. He wanted them to know, hey, I wanted to come many times, but God prevented it. No, he says he did it. He serves with his spirit. He was telling them, you know what? The desire to to meet and to, to teach and to spread the gospel comes from within me. It's a holy motivation. It's pure. It's from the Lord. What motivated Paul wasn't what people thought motivated him. It wasn't peer pressure. It wasn't legalism. It wasn't money. But a heart motivated basically to accomplish the will of God. And when you look at at Paul's spirit, he really, you know, that that idea has the the whole heart, the, the mind, the soul, spirit. They're all involved in service. I mean, that's what should be when, we, when we're serving the Lord. We should be in it with everything. Do you remember in high school when you were growing up, maybe you had these, I don't know, back east we did, football was a big thing and different, you know, and, and usually the Friday of the big game. During the day, we were kind of excited because maybe in the morning you had classes, but right afternoon you'd have an assembly, right? And it was kind of a... Uh, uh, you know, a spirit assembly or a rally, and they'd bring the football team in, and you know, you'd have some music, and you know, you'd hope you'd beat the team that night. It was it was a big assembly, and the whole idea was, hey, let's get really, really emotionally kind of jacked up here over this game, so we can go out and win it. And you wanted the whole student body there, and everybody was excited, and you wore your school colors and your letter jacket or whatever you had, and everybody was into that. That's that's the idea here of Paul's spirit. You know, when you watch a game like the one we see this afternoon, I'm sure you'll see a couple plays and you'll go, boy, that, that guy's really in it to win it. Do you see how he hit that guy? And they'll show the replay over and over. What do we call it? We call it spirited play, right? You're not going to see football players out on the field going, oh, yeah, okay, oh, there he goes. You know, No, they're going to be exerting all their effort to help, hopefully, help their team win. And it means that he had his whole being, his, his whole self was involved in this effort and that's kind of the idea and when it talks here of service paul's service it's important we understand what he's really 
talking about. That, that word to serve, it comes from a Greek word, which basically you can also translate it worship. When we serve the Lord, it's, it's a way of worshiping him. See, sometimes today in the church, we get our worship all mixed up. We think the worship ends when the last note of the song is played. Oh, now we get to the teaching. <laughs> no, this is all worship. Everything we do here on Sunday morning is focused around worshiping God, serving God. See, that's the idea. When you come here Sunday mornings, you shouldn't just be coming with the idea of, okay, well, I hope they sing my song or the song that I like or the hymn that I like or sing the style of music I like or I hope he teaches on something that I enjoy or speaks to my self-needs and, and I hope somebody says something to me and encourages me or, and prays for me. If you come with that kind of attitude, you're going to walk out going, man, this is a rotten day. But if you come with the attitude of, you know what, I'm going to come to worship. I'm going to come to serve. I'm going to come to give to the body of Christ. It transforms your whole morning. Because for the first time, you're not sitting there criticizing every little wrong note that's played or every song that you didn't like or every passage that maybe he misinterpreted or misspoke or whatever it might be. Pretty soon you're going, wow, this, this is good. I'm going, to, I'm going to take this and take what I can and, and use it to serve. Use it to minister to somebody. I'm going to look around and see who else needs to be ministered to. And see, by doing that, he really separated himself from the guys that were just being paid. That just came through the door and kind of like, yeah, okay. And so Paul's spirit and his service were one that he really wanted to honor the Lord. And that's really what that means. That word worship is not just about religious trappings or stained glass windows or pipe organs or anything like that. It's about really giving back to God, showing God his worship. And so it, it can mean worship. It can mean service, that phrase. And the greatest worship that you'll ever render to God is when you serve him with the right motivating factors. In Romans chapter 12, and this is just Paul kind of speaking to this issue, he says, speaking about his commitment here, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living <laughs> sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual what? Worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, Paul said, you know what? If you're going to serve the Lord, do it with a full commitment. There's nothing more frustrating than having somebody, quote, wanting to serve the Lord, but they're half-hearted about it. I mean, a lot of times I'll just say, you know what, just go home. I, I, it just frustrates me. And it frustrates other people who are, are in it. Not that God can't use that, but it's, it's, it's you know, it's kind of like the guy at work that just kind of dwiddles around all day and doesn't really do anything. <laughs> And you're doing your job, and then as soon as the boss comes in, oh, he gets to work. You know, nobody likes that guy. And so when we serve the Lord, we should do it with a whole commitment, a whole heart. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says this, not only just serve him with total commitment, all right, but serve him to the fullest. Serving the Lord should be at the top of our priority list as Christians. That's just the way it should be. Philippians 3, 3 says... For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And what? Put no confidence in the flesh. See, Paul, what's he doing there? He's making a distinction between the internal, 
right? Spiritual worship and the external, which is fleshly worship. When you serve the Lord, when you worship the Lord, are you doing it purely in a fleshly way? Or are you doing it in a spiritual way? In Acts 27, Paul here is in the midst of the storm of the Mediterranean Sea, and he says, Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Listen to this. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I what? Worship. We have to know who we're serving. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.